Welcome to Hooters Talk. Off the record. Hooters Talk. And what do I mean by Hooters Talk? Howie likes to eat at Hooters. And I like to talk. So we're just going to pretend like we're at Hooters. We have no agenda tonight. We've talked about one short subject we're going to cover. I have another short subject we're going to cover. But we're going to let this just be a conversation between two friends. Welcome in, Howie Cheney. Hello, QB Not One. What's going on? QB Not One. I think that is a wonderful name for me. Uh, you are sitting in the same spot that yesterday Mr. David Carroll sat in and we did an interview here on River City Media and Marion Messenger. And uh, Howie, a lot of prep went into that. Um, well, a lot of work by my friend Duke Ralston. I don't know if I, I prepped enough, but it was a really good time. And it, I promised him, or I promised myself, below you'll see a link uh, scrolling about his book, Hello Chattanooga, and the people that has visited us for the next week. Your shows are brought by Mr. Carroll's book, and it was a great time to have David Carroll on here. Wonderful man, Howie. Did you get to see the, the show any? I did. I watched it. I actually sent a message in. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you saw it or not, but I remember growing up watching David Carroll every morning, the morning show on, yes. uh, if I ain't mistaken, he started out at Channel 9, then ended up at Channel 3. Yes, I think so. And uh, in the mornings, we'd get up. When I'd get up in the mornings, Mom would be watching Channel 3. It'd be David Carroll and I think Cindy Sexton on the show. They had a morning show there. And uh, I remember meeting, uh, the message I sent you was meeting, actually, as a kid, being able to have the, to me, it was an honor and a privilege to actually meet somebody that you see on TV every morning. I met him at a Fiddler's Convention in Flat Rock, Alabama. Um, he was the MC of the show. <clears throat> Something you don't hear much about anymore is Fiddler's Conventions, but uh, he was the uh, MC of the show. And uh, for people who hadn't been to Fiddler's Conventions, if they had, if you don't realize or don't know, they they have drawings, you know, part part of the way through and halfway through and all this stuff where you win like twenty bucks or twenty five dollars or something like that. And my mom or dad won, bought a chance on it, and. Uh, they won, and so they sent me up there to the stage to get it, and uh, Mr. David Carroll actually gave it to me. So uh, That's that, wonderful. That's something, something I'll remember for a long time. You know, um, yesterday was a special day for us here at River City Media. You know, we have it, – it doesn't even seem possible. Howie, I think I aired my first show that was under River City Media less than six months ago. It seems like I've been at this for six years now, but um, <laughs> less than six months ago, we were airing the MMA show, which is on a new night. Glad you, I'm glad I thought of that. Wednesday night, we're going to do post MMA fights. And, and, and I think it'll be a little different thing. So it's something we're trying this week. I'd aired it a couple of times. We recorded in my hallway. We had to get in the picture of an old iPhone 5 squashed up like this. We may have done that in January or February. And then in April is when we kicked off. And it's been a whirlwind. And getting someone of, um, he would be very humble about this, but I'll say David Carroll's stature in media in Chattanooga to appear, it was quite a compliment to us. 
the people at the Marion Messenger that set up the interview, and Duke Rothstein at the Marion Messenger, who trusted me enough with that assignment to give it to me without any. He didn't say, ask him this. He didn't say, ask him that. He gave me no direction. Said, you got 30 minutes with David Carroll on the on the news uh, website. I mean, that's that's a lot of trust, man. That's a lot of trust. It is. And, and like I said, David Carroll is an icon in Chattanooga in the uh, media industry. And uh, watching that interview yesterday, it brought back a lot of memories as far as getting up in the mornings and watching him on TV. And <clears throat> he wasn't always serious. He loved, to me, it seemed like he loved his job and joked around about a lot of the stuff on the TV as well. But... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he still, he looks great, you know, and uh, the, some of the information that he was, you know, just reeling off to you yesterday is like, wow, you know, didn't realize some of that stuff. And um, but he, his knowledge of Chattanooga history is outstanding. It, it's, a, it's uncanny. And, you know, we're best friends now, too. I saw that part. I thought yeah, I'm yeah, a little bit jealous. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of that. But, uh, hey, you couldn't ask for a better best friend than David Carroll, I don't think. I'm happy. I, I've got it. I've got our show posted to uh, Marion Messenger. That's the only thing I kept screwing up. I was there as a Marion Messenger employee, which is my fourth job, I think. I have River City Media, 93.3 Country Roads, the Marion Messenger, and hey, the job that pays me every day, eight to five, that lets me do the other ones at Mon Hummel. So uh, you, it was you a left one job off. What's that? Being a dad, full-time dad. Uh, hey, that that is. That should uh, be number one. Four, that should be number one, brother. Other four fails to compare, compel to that one. That one is most important, and um, uh, she's 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 growing up. I mean, I'm really proud of her. Join the band. We're a marching wildcat. Not marching. We don't march till ninth grade here, but we are a member of the Hickson Middle School band. The other thing uh, I did last week, Howie, I was going to run by, is we had our version of Sylvania Plainview, uh, Fife Plainview, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we had Blood Solid Sequatchie, and it was my company sponsored the pregame and postgame show. We had people from the company I worked for on. That was really special to me, you know. Such a bit, you know how I get for the Sequatchie Blood Cell. I compared it to uh, Plainview, Sylvania, Marion, uh, Marion, South Pittsburgh. So it was a fun time and have my coworkers there to share it with me. It was something special. Well, who won the stump? The Battle of the Stump. Who won the stump? The Sequatchie County Indians won the Battle of the Stump 31 29. Sounded like it was a good game. Blitzall was inside the nine-yard line with less than two minutes to play got a holding penalty when it was going to be second and goal from the two put them back to the 19 gave up two stacks on the next two plays pushed them back to the 27 Blitzo has an all-state field goal kicker his brother is the current kicker at UTC so when you got back to about 45 yards, you thought hey, this, this, this is very doable, doable for him. 
So uh, with 30 seconds to go in the game, fourth and 27, they run him in, what turned into a 44-yard field goal, and it was a bad snap. Hmm. And the quarterback who was injured earlier in the game, which is a huge part of it, they, they, they didn't have their quarterback for the fourth quarter. Their best two running backs both were very hobbled the whole game. So Sequatcha caught some breaks there. Their quarterback come off the sideline after not playing to hold. And I don't know how he got it down, but he did. But by the time he got it down, Boring was already into kicking the ball and still got a ton of foot into it. But it was just a line drive. It died in the end zone. And uh, when he kicked it, you thought, oh, it's 11 foot high. And it's going to go 44 yards, 11 foot high. It was that kind of kick. Uh, and then it was pandemonium. It was, it was, uh, it was crazy, man. It really was. I, I love the kids from Bledsoe and Sequatchie, and it being the being the voice of Sequatchie County. It's really tough for me to separate from those kids. You know the love I have for those kids and the struggle they go through. But there was some kids from the Bledsoe side that left their heart out there on the field. It was a really good rivalry. It's kind of like that text I sent our friend Tyler, Coach Van, uh, where I told him I didn't choose sides, but I I told him sometimes little brother beat up big brother and you were proud of him. So right. he knew what it meant. You know, it's you wanna you wanna see your team win, but your heart breaks for the other side. Right. Sound like it was a great game and um <clears throat> I know that's a big win for Sequatchie County because that it is. was it's kind of like a that was a, a from my understanding that was a big upset as far as being able to pull that win off. I, I would have said early in the year that was a a two touchdown game. We were zero and two, everything going wrong, and then uh, over the last three weeks uh, we've kind of put our Sequatchies kind of put some things together, and our quarterback junior Peyton Campbell threw the ball really well. We gotta quit it. We gotta get him to quit spiking the ball after he scores a touchdown, because he scores and gets us a 15 yarder back the other way as soon as he scores. But uh, he had probably one of his best games. Uh, Let's talk about that for a second. What what's the big deal about a kid spiking the football? I mean, I mean, it takes the fun out of it. It takes the fun out of it, man. This is a sport. It's a game. Games are supposed to be fun. Now, if he had took the ball and ran over there to the visiting or to the opponent sideline and shoved it in their face or something, that's one thing. But scoring a touchdown, spiking the ball, I don't see nothing wrong with that myself. We got in a situation in the fourth quarter where there was seven penalties in the fourth quarter against the Watch County. That was in the third and fourth quarter. And you just – some of them were legit. So for the, I mean, I'd say the Scotch County people that were yelling, about four of them was really legit that we, we held or we tackled the rusher. There was a couple that you just, you kind of went, huh? Huh? You keep right. that flag in your pocket in, in a rivalry game. But uh, I said before the game, Howie, we've not had, Great officiating in the state of Tennessee since pre-COVID. And uh, they lost a lot of refs in Tennessee 
during the COVID year. And I wonder if we, well, I know, I don't wonder, I know about this. We, if you want to, if you want to ref football in Tennessee, uh, pretty much all you got to do is show up and say, you want to ref football in Tennessee right now. Mm, that's, that's sad. I mean, <clears throat> the officials, they got to be there. And I understand that. And you got to have certain limitations, but, a lot of this stuff, not just in high school, but in college and professionals, they're they're taking it to the limits and all that. You know, when it comes to the professional game, you're not allowed to touch a quarterback, period. That's crazy. Right. Um, but they do let them have a little bit of fun on the celebration. It should be, uh, you know, especially at that level. Yeah, it's been around for, you know, what, 70 years or whatever it is. Yes, a ton of people score touchdowns in professional ball games, but then you got these people that's that may be the only time they ever touch the ball in a professional game, and they score a touchdown. Let them have some fun. Let them enjoy it a little bit. The if you go to other places in the world and watch their sports at every level, they do not control emotion as much as. The U.S. tries to control emotion at lower levels of football. And uh, it can become an issue. Um, speaking of lower level, while we're over there, Sequatchie's uh, middle school is 5-0. and And Thursday night, they're playing at Jasper. And so they're going to end up playing Jasper or Marion County twice back-to-back. Thursday they play to decide who's the number one seed. So Thursday they'll play. The winner gets the championship game at home. And then the next Thursday they play in the championship game. It's just kind of a fluke thing of the schedule. But when you see a junior high team doing that, and we do have a pretty good freshman team at Sequatchie County, uh, you've got two really good classes back-to-back. That's when at, at, at 2A and 3A football, you start seeing as those kids become sophomores and juniors. You've got some different makers. Yeah, that's where, uh, that's where when the head coach goes in and starts that progress in the 7th and 8th grade, not wait until they get up to the 10th and 11th grade. You, uh, whoa, you flipped us around there. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've started putting myself on the right side just to see if I like it better. But, uh, yeah, I just did. But, uh, you know, it's like uh, a lot of coaches around here, they will get the head coaches to go and get their peewee coaches to implement their system. That way the kids know the terminology as they're coming up. They may not know all the plays, but the terminology. When when I was helping coach at uh, North Sam Mountain basketball, my seventh and eighth grade girls ran the same stuff that the varsity did. They knew what to do. So when they got moved up the next year or got called up, they knew exactly what to do. They It wasn't new to them. And, but, you know, I've seen schools struggle because you'd have the 7th and 8th grade doing something. You'd have the the ninth and 10th grade doing something totally different. Then you had the varsity level doing something totally different from that. To me, to get the success that you need, you need to start at the early levels to get the terminology and let everybody know what and how it needs to be done, then that way they can succeed later on. <clears throat> uh, that's ironic. Uh, I interviewed Coach Faulkner, the middle school coach, at halftime of the Blitzall 
It's a clutching game, and we discussed that exact same thing. Coach McIntyre got here late spring, and I think Coach Faulkner had already been through spring with his junior high team. So he said that Coach McIntyre wanted him to switch next year to the offense, and there's no – there is no team in America that went from one offense to another offense that went any route out of Coral. Then we went from our varsity running a wing tee. Every lineman lined up foot to foot. Probably right now, Coach Paul Benefield's listening to this going, God, what a good offense. Uh, but even, even Coach Benefield put this quarterback in shotgun. This was traditional under center two wingbacks, straight-up wing tee. And then this year we went to a multi-set. It's rare that we have less than – it's really rare we have less than three wide receivers on the field. Four and five a lot of times. And uh, wow. how it's crazy, we do that to run the football, believe it or not, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I asked – or Coach Faulkner said, Coach McIntyre told him – for this year, just run what you got in place, which was the old coach's regime, wing T, uh, and they're five and zero. But he said next year they were going to put in a part of Coach McIntyre's offense, who's the head coach at the high school. But he said he told me off there. He said, "But I'm not putting it all in. I'm still going to keep a few things from what we do. We're undefeated, you know." Right. So it's crazy that everybody's kind of moved to that one system. And, and I think next year you'll see us do it. One system, Wee, JV, middle school, high school. Now, I think it'll be different levels of it because it's hard to put four wide in with sixth graders. You know, you're just not going to have a lot of success. But the one thing they said is the terminology, like you said, they're going to start using the same exact terminology through all the programs. And I think that's good. Right. You know, we would use the same terminology. We'd use, you know, defensively, we ran basically the same stuff. Offensively, he would, he would put new stuff in week in and week out. And I couldn't keep up with what he was putting in there. So I, I put in his basic stuff and that's what we ran. I made sure that those kids knew the basic stuff that way everything, the new stuff that he put in came off of the basic stuff. Right. So they, they knew the terminology. They knew what to do, knew where to go, what to do, and all this other stuff. And it makes it so much simpler. And he's, he uh, told me this, too, himself. He said, it's a lot easier when they know the basics, the fundamentals. And I don't have to, you know, every year, okay, I got another group coming up. I'm going to have to show them <laughs> the way we do it. They already knew what to do when the lower kids came up to the higher kids. And, you know, when uh, Coach Putnam was at Sylvania, they ran that, uh, the wing, the uh, shotgun wing tee like Fife did. Even their peewees done it. The peewees was in the shotgun formation. Even the little guys, the fifth and five, six-year-old kids out there. And so it was same terminology, same blocking schemes, same everything. And if you get that embedded in their system or, you know, in their head, then once they move up, you don't have to worry about starting over and showing them what to do. They already know what to do. And, and you spend more time doing other things rather than showing your basic whatever, or, you know, whenever the new kids move up. 
So, and I think a lot of people make the fallacy of thinking that at the middle school level, you all, you have 40 plays in. My middle school playbook, and I know this was 1977 to 80, uh, it was one sheet of paper. There's probably eight plays on the front, eight on the back. But that's, that's all we ran. And you think right. about it, yeah, most successful high school coaches probably don't run 16 plays. I love Coach Benefield, but I'll challenge you right now if he runs more than 10 plays in the game most times. If he gets to number 10, I would say it's probably rare. But uh, Coach McIntyre, he he does have, I would say, probably a 20 or 25 play call. But you don't need – we run a screen two or three different ways. You you don't need that at the junior high level. You you don't. You just want to throw the football out to the kid at the sideline, hope he catches it. And right. we run one where we line up two to that side, and we try to block down with the wide receivers. And we run it where we try to get one and one on one with the cornerback, and the wide receiver tries to make him blitz a miss, and then he's going a long way. Uh, we run one that puts the tailback in motion, and he. He tries to run the coverage off underneath while the wide receiver screens, you know. But at the end of the day, it's still the same throw. It's screen left or screen right, but it's six different plays if you go both ways, left and right with it. So I don't think – and, you know, and we covered a lot of Coach Pruitt's. Coach Pruitt's won 300 games. His playbook may not be as thin as Paul Benefield's, but you're not going to spend. You're not going to fill up a spiral bound notebook with Paul, with Coach Pruitt's playbook either, right, Howie? No, you're you're not. You know, Coach Benefield, he'll walk out to the field like that and has clipboard with all these different colors and descriptions and all this other stuff on there. I'm like, it looks Coach, good. Yeah, I said, Coach, why do you got that? I said, you only run five or six plays. He said, Well, it it makes me look good. It makes it look like we got more plays than we really do. You know, so, uh, but I'm sure that there's different variations that he runs with all that stuff. Sure. But, uh, you know, uh, I actually asked him, I said, what's your favorite place? And I ain't going to tell you. I said, do you not have your go-to play or whatever? He's like, well, his first response was, I'm like, what's your favorite play? Well, it depends on situation. I said, well, coach, it. what do you mean? He's like, well, what, if, you know, what if it's third down? I said, I said, coach, you don't have very many third downs when it's your, your team. You're, you're usually your first down or second down. Then on that second down, you got a first down again. I said, "So what? What do you normally call?" I I don't know. It just depends on depends on situation, which we you know majority coaches has a special play that they like, you know, more so than others. And uh, you know, he 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 likes messing with everybody. You know, he'll he'll come out and during his warmups, he'll have a lot of people. You know, he'll have he'll have them lined up like a four wide, five wide set and gets the other people thinking, but he's not going to run that stuff. He's going to come out with 11 guys within a box and, and run it down your throat and make you like it. Well, and that's true. Now, one thing I will give Coach Benefield, though, is, and we've talked about it with him and on here, is I think he learned something in that Colbert County game back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. You know, and he's made it to you in private and me in private that if he'd had that shotgun out of the wing tee when LeBron Turner broke his hand, 
he could have probably won that football game. But here's the thing. I feel like Coach Benefield may only have six plays, but he can call that six plays maybe ten different ways. So it's still 60 plays at his at – his, and, and I'll admit, Coach McIntyre, he has an offense that is a little different. He likes to spread everybody out, Howie, but then he gets – when he spreads them all out, he gets – uh, six men in the box, and his offensive line's okay. He likes to run straight at him once he gets six men in the box. So he probably runs spread to run the football more than most people run spread to throw the football. I really feel at heart, Coach McIntyre's offense is a run first offense, throw second offense. Right. I had a basketball coach, Coach uh, Gary Talley, that uh, he told us, he's like, guys, he said, I don't care if they come and scout us. I'll give them our playbook. I'll, I'll let them know what our plays are because if we execute the way we're supposed to, they still can't stop it, even if they know yeah. what's coming. Yeah, you're right. You know, he said, so we're going to keep running, and we're going to keep on running and running, and that's kind of what uh, Coach Benefield is. He'll tell you. He's gonna, well, he won't tell you, but, you know, they're going to run it, you know, they're going to run it up the middle majority of the time. They're going to blow you off the ball and all that stuff, and <laughs> – he don't care if you know it or not because he's going to keep doing the same thing over and over. And why not? What, three state championships, state championships? Something's going right for him. I read something the other day. He's um, – see if I can find the post. But, but I they, think it was they, – They've got the big rival with Plainview this week. Oh, wow. That might – it's going to be a good ball game. I want to say he's one thirteen and five over the last decade. Uh, Sounds right. And that's just like you start thinking about it. You go, he's lost five games in a decade. And I think that's that's right. I know he has the nation's second longest winning streak, and uh, he hasn't lost many football games and. Well, let's see. In the, thing in the last decade, he won four state titles. So that's four under, you know, that's four undefeated seasons right there. And then right. all the other games, right. all the other games that he's played, he only lost one. Apart, best I can remember, he's only lost one game a season. So that would put it at roughly whatever in five, I think. 103 and three since the start of the 2014 season. So in seven and a half years, he's lost three games and won 103. Five state championships, 49 games in a row, second longest in the nation. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. But I don't- No matter what level you're at. I don't want to end up staying there the whole time. There's a couple other subjects I want to get to. Uh, our Falcons got a win this weekend over the Giants. But Howie, you sent me a tweet, and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by this tweet. The signing of Corona Daryl Patterson has been bigger than we first thought. Um, oh, why is it blanking the guy from the Panthers? Uh, Mike Davis from McCaffrey. Oh, Mike Davis. Yeah, Mike Davis. We signed to uh, two years, $7 million to be the lead back. He's probably still in the lead back, but 
think Patterson has been much more effective in Atlanta than Davis with the ball in his hand. Would you appraise the situation that way? I think so. I, I agree with you. Seems like he's a little bit more explosive. Uh, Michael Davis seems like he's more of a tank that wants to run over people. But Cordell Patterson is just so elusive, and he will he will make something out of nothing. Where I feel like Mike Davis is just one of these that if he can't run over them, then you know that's pretty much going to be the yardage that he gets. And I'm not saying that Mike Davis don't have good hands, but we all know what Cordell Patterson can do catching the ball coming out of the backfield. And you put him one on one with a linebacker out in the open space there. Uh, Eleven times out of ten, Cordell Patterson is going to beat him. Well, at Tennessee, we always knew that Cordell Patterson, and I called him Cordell, is kind of my inside joke for him because when he first showed up, named one person in the state of Tennessee knew how to say Cordell Patterson, so I called him <laughs> Cordell because I sat in the stands for about a year till I figured it out and called him Cordell. Cordell Patterson, 6'2", 240 pounds, ran a 4-4-2 at his NFL combine uh, in 2013. I I mean, he's not a young guy. He is an eight-year vet, but he's just now learning to play that position. He is. What do you think of Cordell Patterson, the athlete? Um, the athlete, okay. The athlete, he's probably one of the best athletes on the team, if I had to guess about it, from you know being able to run the ball, catch the ball out of the backfield, return kicks, return – I like to see him return punts, but they got the rookie back there doing that because he set, some, set several Never records. Been his thing. Huh? I, I watched him at Tennessee. At Tennessee, we wondered why he didn't return punts. And, and Coach Fulmer said in a – or not Coach Fulmer, as Coach Dealey said, he said, uh, I can put Cordell – I can put Cordell back to return kicks all day, but he's not a punt returner. He don't have that – that's not in his arsenal. He said Cord, he, he just not – at that size, he, he just wasn't nimble enough to be a punt returner. That's crazy. I mean, it seems like he's – he might be just a shade smaller than Devin Hester, but what did he make his living on in the NFL, returning punts? But, um, but I think Cordell is the all-around best athlete that they've got on the team. I I think Cordell's the better back of the two right now. I think the he offense is. looks better. I think, and, and he's not he's not just a wide receiver playing running back. He's a legitimate run, running back that they will turn around and. Had the football too, and um, he's just not the best athlete on the Falcons. He's one of the better athletes in the NFL. Uh, I think Mike Thomas or Mike Davis is a good back. He just doesn't have the explosion. He he looks like Michael Turner, but Michael Turner had another gear gear when he was in open field. Yeah, he did. That Mike Davis might not have. Yeah, the burner, all he needed is a small crease, and he was gone. Davis needs a little bit of blocking, like I said, because I I feel like he's more like a tank. He'd rather run over people than he, – he's not got that elusiveness as far as the moves that comes along. 
Uh, I think he's pretty fast, but he's got to be able to get past him first. Uh, Michael Turner could outrun people. I don't think Mike Davis really could outrun very many people. Unless it was me. Um, yeah. One last question, and we go on to a couple others. I want to look at uh, his 20, Cordell, 2020 stats. He's had 21 carries, seven in each game. So I think so. Arthur Smith seems pretty determined to get him the ball on those seven carries. He has 13 catches. Uh, he scored. He ru- he's got a rushing touchdown, and uh, so he's had 34 touches in two games. You get up around that 15 touches a game. You're really talking about an RB one. I mean, mm. Najee Harris is probably as close to anybody being a true RB, and I think he's averaging maybe 18 or 19 touches a game. So uh, when you throw Cordell in with the five or six passes, especially in fantasy football, he's worth something, worth keeping. Go get right. him if he's not out there. Right. But the reason we're talking about this on the tweet that I sent you it was him playing catch with people before the game, throwing the ball up in the stands. When we went to the open practice over there, everybody else was out on the field warming up, doing different things. He was over in the corner over there throwing throwing the ball to different people, playing catch with them the whole time. He never did warm up. He came out there and started his practice, but uh, he, he was over there throwing and playing catch with the with kids, fans, whoever. Over there in the corner, uh, the first game that we went to this year, he did the same thing while everybody else was warming up. He went over there to the corner throwing footballs to the crowd. That's what I like to see when I go watching the, the Falcons. I like, you know this for a fact, I like getting there early to watch the warm-ups to see how the players interact with yeah, the I fans. Yeah, I like to get there earlier. Yeah, you know, because I like seeing seeing which, which uh, players wants to interact with fans. And, uh, you know, the other one that may surprise a lot of people that did this a lot was Randy Moss. Randy Moss would play catch yeah. with people on the sides, on the sidelines wow. and stuff. And, uh, you know, so I, I love seeing the, the yes, yeah, the sport, you need to be preparing, but you also got to realize, hey, these people in the stands, it's paying my salary, basically. So I, I need to show a little respect to them and, and do stuff like that. Randy Moss was so much a more polished wide receiver than Cordell ever was. But when you said Randy Moss, he is that Randy Moss freaky kind of athlete. And I think he fits into Atlanta with what Arthur Smith wants to do. Right. You know, I and I, I just love the fact that professional athletes will take the time to throw a few balls up to the fans and get them back right. and, you know, enter – intermingle i guess you could say i don't i don't know just spend some time with the fans and and showing showing them that hey you know i know i see y'all there let's you know let me interact with you uh you don't see that with every player from every team or all like that uh, i i just love it because cordell does that i love it because randy moss to do that um there was someone else i can't remember who it was but they would play catch with the uh, fans as well and then you had some that wouldn't give the fans the time of a day, those were the players I didn't care much about. 
Well, that's not that's not Cordell. That's Cordell. No, we're not. So, All right, but well, you know, uh, were you happy with the way the Falcons played this weekend? I didn't get to see a whole lot of it because I had to work. I hadn't watched the game back. Uh, what little I saw, nothing really stood out to me. Um, when you when you scrape by and beat the Giants like that, uh, I mean, you you know you're going to have a long season. Well, we got it done. At least we got a W. Uh, if they end up in that top five again, do they got to come out with a quarterback this time? They got to start grooming one. Whether yeah. you know, you know, they got to start. They got to bring somebody in and start grooming them because. Matt's getting up there. I mean, he's not old by no means, but for quarterback-wise, unless you're Tom Brady, he's getting up there in age. But Tom Brady is sold his soul to the devil, though. Um, he's done something. He's done. He's done something right. That's all I know. And uh, he's going to be around. He'll be around throwing touchdown passes when he's sixty. So uh, moving on, one more subject. Uh, I'm telling you, it's bar talk tonight at the old River City Media. Coming up in just a minute, 3R Sports, or the newly renamed Triple R Rated Sports Show. I like that. Uh, Did your colleagues like it? Yeah, I always. uh, Yeah, you're right. Did the colleagues Uh, like it? Did your colleagues like it? Do what? Does Rob and Raj like it? Did your colleagues like it? I don't care. I didn't even ask them. Oh, okay. (laughs) So... AEW brought in some people. We've talked about that. But up at Arthur Ashe Stadium, 20-plus thousand people, the first time AEW breaks 20,000, it was much closer to a pay-per-view feel than it was a regular wrestling show. Debut of CM Punk on TV, wrestling. An absolute dream match between... Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson. Uh, but I want to ask you, and we'll go to that one after this. Have you been able to watch the Malachi Black Cody Rhodes match? Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched uh, everything that took place this past week. Uh, it was odd. It was a strange match, but it was, I mean, it was a good match, but some of the stuff that took place is kind of odd. But uh, I think there was, uh, I think they came out being. One of them was going to be a heel and one was going to be a face. And then when the crowd reacted the way they did, I think they flipped it around on everybody real quick. That's what I was going to ask you about. First of all, uh, it was absolutely – why was Arn Anderson trying to swing around the freaking corner post? I don't know. Hobble his fat butt down and then get back up the steps and get in position to take that bump. That was why, crazy why didn't he, that he fell off. Why didn't he get up on the right side to start with? Yeah, you know, but yeah, you take I mean, a crazy bump. You know, like uh, like our good friend, I think JC said, um, he uh, he his midsection a little bigger than it used to be, and his arms are not as long as they used to be, so uh, he couldn't reach around it like he needed to. Yeah. Well, our boy JC said that Brian Danielson carried Kenny Omega to one of the best TV matches he'd ever seen. What did you think of the matchup between Omega and Brian Danielson? Goes a 30-minute draw. Obviously a tease for a pay-per-view match down the road, which I think eventually, I don't know how you bring Daniel Bryan 
a.k.a. formerly known Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson in and not put the AEW world title on him at some point. Yeah, uh, first of all, I loved the match. I thought it was great. They threw me a swerve by it being a time limit draw because I really thought that uh, Brian Danielson would win because you can't, you don't need him to lose his first match. But, uh, you know, yeah, he's got to have the title, I think, eventually. But kind of like what we've talked about in the past, you've got to feel like he wants to go to New Japan for a while and do something over there. And you can't have your title across the ocean with the way the times are right now as far as if he goes over there, does the New Japan, he can't get he might not be able to get back, and then your title and your champion stuck over there. Right. So uh, you know, they gotta be careful with that. Um so I know they're bringing the New Japan people over here. Uh so but I, but I know brought champion either. Right. And so if he goes across the ocean, the way the pandemic is and the way guidelines and all that stuff is, he could be stuck over there for months. Did you um, – what did you think of the Ruby Soho-Britt Baker match? I thought it was a good match. I, I was surprised kind of at the ending, but uh, I, th- I thought it was uh, – not that Britt won, but – that she kind of won clean, best I remember. She didn't really have they they didn't really interfere. They didn't do nothing to cause her to win, but they yeah they were kind of there. But it wasn't like it wasn't Reba not Rebel hitting her with a, a crutch across the back, or it wasn't Jamie Hader, which I like Jamie Hader. I think she's going to be a fantastic one. But uh, it wasn't like Jamie Hader hit Ruby Soho or anything like that. It just I think I think it was a good match overall. Um, what was well? We talked about some of the main moments. Four hours of TV. What What do you think they missed the mark with? Um, Rampage. I didn't care much about Rampage at all. Uh, Even with CM. Wow, they've. I hate to say this, but they burnt me out on CM Punk already by having him on there week in and week out, even though he didn't wrestle, but just having him come out there with the interviews and, and maybe, you know, even some of the interviews didn't last, but a, a minute or two, because somebody would come out and interfere like when he is on, uh, uh, well, yeah, he's on dynamite. And then, uh, Taz and them came out there and tried to power bomb him through the table and the table didn't break. So, um, but overall, I, I didn't care much about the rampage. It was okay show, wasn't great, but uh, I, Dynamite was probably one of the best wrestling shows I've saw in many, many, many years. I told, um, I felt like Darby Allen and Sting kind of stole the show. Leaving, uh, there was no Darby, no, no Darby Allen about it. it was Sting, Sting looked better yeah. on this on this show here than he did back then in the nineties. Yeah, multiple decades, including that cross body block at 61 years old. It was amazing. Uh, I, I really liked that match. Um, I really I enjoyed that one. It wouldn't have been as good if it had been against anybody else, but FTR is a great tag team. They can put people over. They they know what needs to be done to make it happen. And, Do you agree uh, with the best I, comparison? 
comparison is this is this generation's Midnight Express and FDR? Yeah. The, the only thing they're missing is a more outspoken manager. Uh, totally don't say much, but you know, it's, uh, they're, they're fantastic. And even if they were broke up into singles, they would be two, two of the top single stars in a W because both of them can go, both of them can wrestle. So with the Malachi black Cody Rhodes match, and I was surprised and I've thought about it kind of all week and I'm trying to read into crowd psychology. Why did the crowd turn on Cody? Well, before I answer that, I'd like to say that I, I loved Brandy's spot in there by crawling in the ring and setting Indian style in front of uh, Malachi. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that right there put it straight up, them being a heel or she being a heel. And, uh, <clears throat> but why did the crowd turn? I think it's because you'll see Cody once and then you won't see him again for another two months. He, it's like he disappears. And that's who to go do TV and all. Whatever, yeah. The fans are smart. They know. It's similar to John Zena at his height to me. They would, Gina, Zena was uh, absolutely the best worker in the WWE, but fans despised him because he would leave, not come back. It just, it's getting to feel like Cody's a part time wrestler. Cody, the difference between Cody and Cena is when Cena comes back, he stays for months at a time. When Rhodes comes back, it's only for one week to do a match or a week and a half to do a match, and then he's gone another two months or whatever. Uh, you know, he needs to come back and be – I mean, he was the face of the franchise when it was first announced, wasn't he? He was the very yeah. first one announced. And so, yeah. you know – People wants to come and see him because you got to realize there's a lot of years there when he was at WWE, he wasn't nowhere to be found. You know, so people wants to see him. Is he the best out there? Yeah. I, I, don't kill me. Don't kill me when I say this. He, he He's good. He's not the best, but he's good. But people wants to see the best that you got. And for AEW, up until the last month and a half, he was probably one of the best that they had. I, I'm going to throw something else at you. Um, I, and I do think Jericho said it on his show. I think what you said is partially true. Now, the question I want to ask you is, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Did AEW expect this to maybe happen? And this is a Cody Rhodes I, joining the elite again move down the road. I, well, from from all the rumblings that you hear, I, I don't know if that's going to take place or not. But with Cody, I think they wanted him to be the big star and go off and do some of these shows to bring more popularity to the AEW. I don't think they realized it was going to happen that quick. Okay. I think they, I, I think they, you know, I think they felt like maybe right now would be when Cody would be going on the first time to go do a show or something, but it happened maybe a year sooner than they realized. And it kind of, 
kind of, I don't want to say it backfired on them, but to a certain extent, it has. But I think Cody and Brandy could be tremendous heels if that's the direction they want to go. Cody Rhodes, heel in the Bullet Club, was monster. Uh, him and Kenny Omega done a whole storyline where they didn't trust each other. And it was absolutely great. Uh, all right, last question. Or last subject we're getting to, we're, we're about out of time. Will we ever see Brian Danielson versus CM Punk in an AEW ring? Yeah, I mean, that's a dream matchup. I think at some point, say what you want to about Tony Khan. Yeah, he may be a mark and all this other stuff. But, I'm a mark. <clears throat> huh? I'm a mark. Well, I mean, we all are, but he's he's got the he's got he's got his fingertips on the pulse of AEW, and so he wants to see that match happen just as bad as everybody else. So I think eventually we're going to see some great matchups with Daniel Danielson, Brian Danielson against CM Punk. We're going to see some great matchups with Adam Cole against. Darby Bay Allen. Bay. We're going to see. Um, we're going to see Orange Cassidy against uh, somebody else, whoever else they bring in, because it's about time for them to bring somebody else in, which could be tomorrow night. Uh, but we're going to we're going to see some great matches that are dream matchups that have never really happened, but could happen now because of who's in charge of AEW. And the big prize still sitting out there. Well, there's two big prizes. One of them, I think we've already addressed, is probably impossible right now to bring him in under the heat. But the other one is Wyndham Rotunda, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt. Um, A.k.a. The Fiend. Yes, a.k.a. The Fiend. A.k.a. one of the best workers in WWE when they let him go and don't know why they did. Um, Rochester has always been my spot where he comes and takes control of the dark order. Could that happen? I, you know, <clears throat> if it does happen, they built it up perfectly because therefore, you know, they started with the uh, dark order going against each other and then you didn't see them for a week or two. Then you saw them going against each other again. Then you didn't see them for a week or so. Now we're getting closer to Rochester now you're seeing rumblings of, stay calm when I say this, but when Anna J says we need somebody to be the leader, that was building up to, I think, whatever he's going to go by, a.k.a. The Fiend, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, come in and take over the dark order tomorrow night. So I think he's going to use Wyndham. Um, if you look at his Twitter, it's at Cult of Wyndham. At Cult of Wyndham, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's right. And I think I think there's enough thunder to that name Wyndham that uh, you know you get a lot of attention. A lot of attention. Howie, where are you at Friday night? We are at home. We have uh, Asbury coming in. It's home homecoming. Uh, 
we got the parade Thursday night. Get to see if little Jeannie can walk a few miles playing a trumpet and uh, not pass out somewhere along the parade route. Uh, if anybody sees her passed out, just drag her to the side and give me a call. I'll come pick her up. Pour some water on her. I don't know if she likes water too well, but go ahead. I, I, I was going to just say pour it just, just, just for your satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, Where are you going to be at? I'm at home again this week. Um, we have had a COVID forfeit a couple of weeks ago, and we've replaced the game next week. We go to 5A Franklin County, just up the road in Winchester. Uh, I'm really excited about that. We should handle business with community. I think they're a one-in-four football team, one-in-five maybe. Uh, so uh, we've got we've got a very winnable game, game Friday night. Then we go to Winchester to play Franklin County. We come home to play Giles County, which is a state-ranked 3A school in our district. Then we get a visit. It's been many, many years since Whitwell, which is 15 miles up the road from Dunlap, has played Sequatchie County. So they come to our new stadium, or field turf stadium, not new. Uh, the next week, then we go to 5A, might be 6A, Watt County the next week. So we've got some big, big schools in the heart of our district schedule coming up over the next five weeks. I look forward to seeing us on the field against a 5 or 6A school just to see where we're at. I, I don't think we can beat a 5, 6A school, just sheer numbers of kids that both of them have. Um, I was worried about playing a, a larger school, but I don't necessarily know that either one of those are great big schools. Um, so I, you know, I know Franklin County's one in three. So if we take care of business, I, I think we got a shot at Franklin County the next week. I don't know the schedule as well as you do, but I know that, uh, <clears throat> Savannah had the appetizer a couple of weeks ago against five, you know, took them to the limit. Uh, they got Asbury this week. Then over the next couple of weeks is when the meet of the schedule takes place. They got Geraldine, Plainview. Um, Geraldine La beat Plainview too. Yes. We got Lauderdale County. And then, of course, the one that uh, Coach Van is probably looking forward to. I mean, he's not going to look past nobody. Don't 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 take that out of context now. But, the, you know, he wants to beat his alma mater, Northside Mountain. So the, <clears throat> the meat of the schedule is coming up, and uh, we're going to see what type of team Serrania really is over the next four weeks. I didn't know if he was going to say North Sand Mountain or Pisgah. I, I, I wasn't no. sure there for a minute. <laughs> well, we know he wants to beat Pisgah. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they play Pisgah this year, do they? They don't. Mm -mm. So how They don't play Pisgah this year, but I, <clears throat> if I had guessed about it, Pisgah will be on the schedule next year. I, I'd guess so, too. Big announcement for me and you. We're, we're continuing with the show, but we're going to put it on Thursdays where the other angle, uh, it won't be as late as the other angle, but it'll be back-to-back -back with Stretch the Chains with Chain. Still part of a two-part um, series on Thursday night, but right now Thursday night's kind of where we need to be if we're going to talk high school football and, and college football closer to the weekend. Sitting here, it's, we're, we're more recapping, and I'd like for me and you to get ahead of it. So we're going to try Thursday nights just a, a couple of weeks and 
See if we like them. Uh, probably seven o'clock because stretch the chain with chain starts at eight. So I can record one, then go straight to the other one. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if it changes our conversation somehow. Well, I think it will because if nothing else, just with the AEW talk, it will be the night after the uh, Dynamite. <clears throat> so yeah, well, instead I didn't of, think about that. But instead of that having is, to... That is a good point. You know, in, instead of having to recap from the previous week, <laughs> we can recap from the previous night and talk about what's going to happen on Friday night as well. Hey, I may have, I may have, I may have just uh, stepped into a dog droppings and found gold. I didn't even think about that second part. What I was thinking about is we got the Thursday night NFL game, and then right after, then the next night we have Friday night football, and God knows we like to talk about Friday night football. So yeah. uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see us on Thursday night. It's been nice doing this on Tuesday, but if I take this show off of Tuesday, um, we all know Triple R rated sports. It will go somewhere between one and five hours, according to how many <laughs> bourbons they have. Uh, ben, Raj, and Rod, Bobby. We went 60 minutes one time, and I felt like we rushed through everything. So we've been doing 90 minutes. But still yet, with this... On top, of, I'm talking two and a half hours straight. And my voice was getting, frankly, a little weak. Uh, one night we did our football kickoff special, and I talked five straight hours. And it's just hard on your voice after a while, Howie. Yeah, I can imagine so. And uh, <clears throat> you know, you, you did get a little break in between this, this, and the Triple R Superstar rated show that comes on later on, but it wasn't I, much of one. Basically, you yeah. like. I right, have a good show. I'll talk to you later. I got to eat and then get ready for the next show. And then it yeah. was yeah. off. It's like, it's like Randall's off to a sprint, but there's no sprinting with Randall. It's more like a roll. Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's, it's more like a, a bag limp, but I, I'm, I'm trying to add more shows to the network. And that's, a, I think triple R can stand by itself. Change just getting started and he's going to miss like a month straight. Uh, after this week's show. So there won't even be a stretch of chain with chain. And so for about a month, that's the heart of the football season. There would have been no Thursday show. And I feel like we can slide over there and fill that gap for right now. And we may even move, we may even move there permanently if it works out. So uh, I'm excited about Thursday night, Howie. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, like I say, you know, um, <clears throat> instead of a recap, a recap from a week away, we'll be able to recap the previous day as far as uh, AEW, be able to do a preview, sh preview show on the Friday night and Saturday football games and possibly even the Sunday NFL games. And so uh, a little bit closer to the action instead of being so far away. I know, I know. Well, for the, the, like the Ohio State, the Howie Cheney. The angry, sleepy QB1. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. I will be back in one hour with 3R Sports that could go anywhere from five minutes to five hours. Um, and the subjects tonight we're going to be discussing, I don't know, it's on my phone. I know we're recapping. <laughs> um, I know we're previewing this weekend's NFL, recapping what happened over the weekend in college football. Previewing the big Georgia 
Arkansas game, and and how y'all say it, and then I'm, we'll get off. Arkansas plus eighteen points against Georgia. Uh, that seems like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, that's crazy. You don't. Uh, the only time you do a plus eighteen with a team is if it's consisted of Vandy, Vandy in a SEC game. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. So for the Howie Cheney, the angry and sleepy Randall Cunningham. Good night. God bless. And we bid you a fond adieu. Stolen from Kenny Omega. <laughs>